Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Solopek from Cross Asset Strategy. We're here to talk about cross asset QIS strategies. We're joined today by uh, an external guest, uh, our, our friend uh, Paul Freint, who is a portfolio manager, head of direct trading at Franklin Templeton. And we're also joined by Dobromir Chachev, who is the head of cross asset systematic research, as well as Deepak Maharaj, who focuses on product development of cross-asset and equity QIS strategies. Let's turn to Paul first. Paul, why don't you tell us a bit about what you do and how you're thinking about using QIS strategies? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Appreciate it. So I run several portfolios, uncorrelated portfolios in Franklin Templeton. We use QIS strategies to effectively deliver excess returns that earn that earn returns from sources which are completely differentiated from traditional long-only equities, long-only bonds, long-only credit type of approaches. And the whole idea is to provide a stream of returns that has a different cycle, effectively generate the, the, the profitability cycle to, to, to those of the long-only uh, uh, type of betas in clients' portfolios. So by that definition, we're trying to strive to have a correlation of our returns in, in our portfolio to be close to zero or in fact to be negative to, for example, equities. And that's effectively my job. Thanks, Paul. So let's let's think about the current macro environment we've had to deal with, let's say rising rates, steepening yield curves, strong dollar, maybe China making a bit of a, a comeback. So, so maybe Paul, uh, can you walk us through kind of how your, your views are, are evolving on, on the relevance of, of QIS strategies right now? In fact, I would argue that with the lift off in, of interest rates and a departure from a long lasting, almost a decade long financial repression from central banks and negative interest rate policy or near zero interest rate policy in the US, uh, the relevance of the traditional QIS strategies, traditional uh, factors has increased dramatically. And the reason for that is that majority of at least academic and frankly, uh, the, the, the practitioner type of QIS strategies, uh, the, 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 the reliability depends materially on uh, traditional cross-asset relationships, where they should operate without, without significant noise. And obviously noise in a market, I mean, that's, that's an ever-present uh, that's an ever-present danger to this type of strategies, but this noise is mostly random in typical times. However, over the previous decade, when when the, the central banks were instituting negative interest rate policies, that noise was persistent and in a direction that was effectively overwhelming you know, the, the reliability of traditional strategies. So think about your typical equity value. The, the income was completely taken out of the system by, by central banks who lowered interest rates uh, to zero. And so savers mm, had no option but to go for growth. Thus, equity value did not work for multiple years simply because cheap stocks kept on being held down while the growth stocks kept on being bid up by by the by the investors and uh, effectively the the newly finds effectiveness of the strategy and in in, in in fact being a massive headwind to your traditional funds which which rely on equity value type type of, type of approach now with interest rates coming back those relationships are snapping back and starting last year we saw value type of strategies 
uh, work uh, exceptionally well, in part because that 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 begin to normalize. And in fact, when we look at normalization, yes, normalization was material, but it's still nowhere near to close to the long-term averages. When we look at the differentiation, for example, once again, in equity value between most expensive stocks and the cheapest stocks on a market, the differentiation that the spread between multiples, between most expensive and cheapest multiples, um, is still near the highs of a dot-com bubble. So just to, 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 to again, to reiterate how incredible the dislocation was at the end of the 2021, that even now after the correction of last year and this year, we're still, uh, the dislocation is still near the highs of the 2000, um, of the market in 2000. So that, yeah, so, so, so that's why it's exciting times for this type of strategies, the look ahead type of situation for delivery for returns for the strategies, is materially stronger than it was in the previous 10 years. Uh, and the last year was evidence of that. And before you turn off uh, maybe to the next question, another important element that I think is important to highlight is the return on cash. The funds which run this type of strategies that typically trade in derivatives. And so they are cash rich. And up until two years ago, cash was earning zero, but by now, cash in the United States is earning more than 5%. So this type of funds, are not in addition to delivering returns from, tra from traditional relationships, as factor strategies which are beginning to work, they also delivering that returns on top of cash, which is now earning 5% more than two years ago. And that, I think, is very important to highlight to, 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 to your listeners. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Paul. And I think that echoes a lot of what we're seeing on the research side as well. Let's, let's, let's get this similar reaction from from Dobromir about uh, how you're seeing the, the macro environment, what do you think is relevant right now in, in QIS? Uh, I, I strongly agree with Paul. And uh, in general, we are firm believers in the values of the systematic investment approach. Uh, but, and if anything, the current environment is uh, really strongly supportive for supporting the case for risk premium investing. Uh, as Paul mentioned, we had a fantastic comeback, for example, of trend following, uh, equity factors uh, performing well, and uh, we are basically in a macro-driven environment with more dispersion, more volatility, and this is really the right type of environment for strategies uh, that are also rightly designed to, to capture it. Um, so I would say that, as we spoke in the previous podcast, uh, I think we, we are uh, strong believers in all the strategies uh, that harness the power of macro data at the moment, because we, we see the environment like uh, being quite uh, quite macro driven. And uh, one of our most preferred strategies is rates value, because we, we want to capitalize on RV opportunities in the fixed income space at the time when monetary policies are at the crossroad, when at the time when we have a lot of lead lag relationships. And, uh, Coming back to the point that Paul made about, about the yields, I mean, uh, it, is, um, it is quite encouraging to see that, for example, carry income, particularly in FX, is coming back very strongly. Uh, I've just checked today the, the calculations. We can gain approximately 9% on time, 10% vol target vol in FX carry. Those are really hefty levels of, of income, which, which can actually come on top of of the cash yield and this this 
makes a, a significant significant difference. Uh, so yeah, otherwise uh, it is true that also the current high level of yields a bit raises the bar for risk premium performance, uh, but it should not forget that you know risk premium is also type of investment which is more looked as a diversifying or you know, in some cases defensing. So uh, really we are, I'll just reiterate, we, are, we think the time is ripe for risk premium investments. Completely agree, Dobromir. So let's let's turn to uh, to Deepak now. And we'll, uh, Deepak, what trends are you seeing given the macro environment? I agree a lot with what Paul and Dobromir said and at the risk of making this consensus, I think the the three topics we're seeing a lot of interest on are equity style factors, so the revival of equity style factors, um, the focus on macroeconomic fundamental data as a driver for strategy development, and then finally defensive cross-asset portfolios. Um, so it's taking each one in turn, the equity factor revival. So as, as Paul mentioned, like the, the return to fundamentals has been very welcome. And we've seen, for example, this year, quality and momentum performing well, um, driving our multi-factor strategy to, to an all-time high. Um, and compared to the pre-COVID era, you know, the market is definitely trading much more on fundamentals compared to the zero interest rate environment. So we've seen clients steadily re-engage on this topic. Uh, I mean, there was a there was this long period where we, you know, there was consensus maybe that uh, factors are dead. And uh, and uh, so so it's encouraging to see that that regrowth. Um, and I think the prognosis is good as well from here, given that, you know, if rates stabilize at this point and maybe slowly decrease, we might be back to a scenario which is similar to the early 2010s where factors were, were relatively uh, strong performing uh, assets in, in diversified portfolios. I think one other observation on factors worth highlighting is that we've seen typically hedge fund clients use equity factors as a hedging tool or a tactical tool to play um, opportunities. Um, especially in the US, uh, clients are using pure equity factors to either hedge unwanted factor risks in their in their portfolios, or they have been taking uh, taking tactical bets on on dislocations that uh, you know temporary dislocations that might happen in factors. So that's uh, that's an interesting development. We are also offering that in option format to give clients convexity on on factors. So on the second second topic, macroeconomic data, indeed that that's been discussed in the last podcast. I just wanted to reiterate the value that we're seeing in this data. Um, and um, it's true that in the past, a lot of QIS strategies were built on, uh, on price-based uh, underlying data. And, and now with this, with this sort of macroeconomic data via the JP Max database, it is definitely a very interesting raw material for our product development. The last topic is the defensive cross-asset portfolios, um, which essentially these are, you know, we've seen this growth case of QIS um, and these are portfolios of QIS that are statistically defensive uh, in nature. So they have, you know, for example, strategies like trend or equity quality, which are expected to do well in periods of stress. Um, they grew out of the demand for uh, government bond replacement strategies, uh, especially towards the end of 2020. Um, and they continue to be uh, continue to be very much in demand. I mean, 2022 was a great live case study for a lot of these portfolios. Um, and while 2023 has been more mixed, I think it's the interest is high, especially given the level of uncertainty that is currently around in the market. Thanks, Deepak. Let, let's talk about some of these things with, with Paul. Uh, 
Deepak touched on defensive risk premia. There's certainly reason to be defensive in, in terms of you know, recession probabilities are still pretty high. At the same time, it's kind of a, a weird situation where a, a lot of folks have been shielded from the rising rates with fixed rate mortgages in, in the U.S. And, and, and fixed rate borrowing from the large caps. Could you touch on your view on defensive risk premium, Paul, and just use traditional hedging instruments like go buy a put? So, so maybe, maybe talk about, is there a point to use QIS to be defensive? It probably comes back a little bit to the very first point that I was uh, trying to articulate is the uncorrelated nature of the sources of returns. Because whether or not recession comes, and we do have certain views on that, obviously, uh, but whether or not recession comes, it becomes almost a, almost a binary, uh, binary opinion. And if you get it wrong, it becomes quite expensive because you miss out on a rally. Uh, you get it right, of course, uh, you, you, your portfolio outperforms. And this year, if you recall, in the beginning of the year, uh, the, the consensus was that recession is coming. I think consensus was about 70, 75% among the buy side analysts. And in the US, as far as we can tell, there is no sign of a recession, at least at the, at least at the moment. So building defensive portfolio, especially using puts or even a cheaper version of it, put spreads or put spread colors, is still considerably more expensive than uh, deploying uh, strategies like QIS, the, the risk premium type of strategies. A, in part because they are diversifying, so they, they should, in theory, deliver returns regardless whether we have expansion or recession, because that's how they build. But more importantly, uh, many of the of the, of the uh, risk premium strategies have a defensive tilt to them, uh, including inequities, uh, something like equity quality, equity low beta, even equity value in many, in many respects can be thought of a bit of a, um, I don't want to say recession-proof, but the way, the way it functions is if recession is coming, the, the expensive stocks tend to sell off dramatically more in the beginning than the cheap stocks, so it does act as a, as a, bit, of a, as a bit of a kind of uh, protection in many ways. Same with trend, especially cross-asset trend. Once again, uh, an attractive uh, uh, strategy if you have a recession because it, uh, you know, obviously depending material on how it's built, but can once again uh, function as a as a significant uh, defense, is significantly defensive uh, addition to your, to your portfolio. There are other strategies like effects value, which traditionally work, which traditionally run with a negative correlation to long only as to long only equity risky assets. So once again, a defensive, um, a defensive proposition. So you can deploy all of these type of strategies in your portfolio without necessarily paying a premium to own them and expect that uh, with some degree of confidence, not as high as just buying outright put, but without paying the cost of uh, premium, uh, that these strategies would provide uh, support defensive support for your portfolio. And again, the key is the key here is a lack of correlation. 